Welcome, friends, to the inaugural edition of Quest Rewind. This is a retrospective video game podcast that celebrates the games, those ones that we love from the 90s, the 2000s, diving deep into things like console launches, curious facts like, hey, what was the original name of the N64? And later on, we even review some of the most iconic video games of all time. This podcast is going to be a very interesting format where we uh, do a full deep dive, in this case, of the Nintendo 64. So uh, stay tuned for a little bit more information about that with yours truly. My name is Juan. I am from Puerto Rico. My name is Ryan. I'm from Boston. And my name is Keith, and I'm from London, Ontario, Canada. And the three of us, we, we love the 90s, and we thought, hey, uh, we had a previous podcast. It was called A Cast of the Past. It's part of the same podcast feed so if you enjoy what we're doing now and you're like hey uh, have you talked about games like the legend of zelda link to the past and all that that's still available and you're getting some more but guys we're gonna go super deep into the nintendo 64 uh, what, what do you think about that with such an iconic console it's i mean it's, it's nostalgia <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly like when you think of nostalgia especially in today's age the n64 has to be at the top of that list because we live in a world where a lot of things are being redone and a lot of things are being remade or re-released the n64 is kind of like this golden spot in nostalgia that's still exactly the way it was all these years later so i'm excited i'm excited to hit that rewind button you see what i did there yeah, yes, that's pretty good. You did a good job yeah. there. And guys and gals, uh, this is what the uh, agenda is going to look like for the first uh, first series of episodes here with uh, Quest Rewind. This one is going to be all about the birth of the N64. So this is not even the launch. This is the announcements going back to the very early 90s. And then the following episode is going to be about the actual launch, which some people know we didn't even get five games, and it's still kind of crazy to think about just how small that launch lineup was. Then afterwards, we have a massive list. We're going to be taking a look at all of the launch year, so the first 12 months of the N64. That's going to be episode three. And then on episode four, we're going to be talking about the legacy, which is we're going to be traveling back in time now to modern times and just have a conversation about, hey, what does the N64 really mean to us? I think, Keith, you brought up a great point now that we'll talk about in more detail then, which is nostalgia and N64 definitely related. And then on that fifth episode, we're going to be reviewing a specific uh, game that came out within the first year of the console. Ryan, does that, does that sound good to you? That sounds pretty excellent to me. I'm excited to talk about this system. As I said, I think for us being now in our 30s, God help us, but yeah. this, is, this is our childhood. So I think this was a great place to start with our, with our new format and our new show. And I'm really excited to dive Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And uh, we do have a couple of references. All of them are going to be available on the description of your preferred podcast app. And obviously, if you enjoy the podcast, you know the deal. You know how to support us. Just leave that five-star review and follow us at Quest Rewind on Twitter and all that good stuff. So the references come to us from thefactsite.com, uh, mentalfloss.com, great website with some excellent articles, and gametyrant.com. Now, we're going to be traveling back to 1993, guys, and we were just a couple of years old. I don't think any of us were even five then, right? Yeah, that checks out. As a 1990 baby, I was two slash three. 
See, I so, was you know, born really, in the 80s. really into video game news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Juan and I were probably f- like four years old. Exactly. But that's where the story of the N64 started. So uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this name. It was announced at the uh, at Nintendo's Shoshinkai Trade Show 1993. And I actually didn't know about this. So that's w- part of what I love about the podcast is I not only are in we... in the West, we know that as Space World a lot. Okay, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I learned a little bit more. Brian, did you have uh, some more info about that? No, I I just know Space World was basically the game... It was basically Nintendo's own show before uh, they they ended up changing the name. Okay, and it's we we could even look at Nintendo's uh, history a couple of years uh, later because Nintendo had like trading cards. I mean, we think about them now as a video game company, but that is not how they started. But in this show, 1993, they announced a Project Reality. And let's keep in mind, I mean, this is like Super Nintendo is super hot, relevant right now. And then Nintendo said, hey, what about those 3D graphics? I mean, we were super young here to maybe appreciate it so much, but going back to like 96, 97, when we were still very much just getting into 3D graphics, is is Nintendo like a Mario in 3D, like a Mario Kart game in a 3D world? Is that something you guys ever thought would actually come true? Yeah, I mean, I just remember that 3D games, you would, you would run into them, you know, at the arcade sometimes and things like that. And you felt like after the Super Nintendo playing you know mario world you just felt like the next step is oh what if i could run around in all directions with mario i remember thinking that as a kid before the n64 came out obviously there were plans for that well before it was just a thought in my mind and that was all going on in the background but i wasn't at this age and you know leading up to the launch of the console i wasn't paying attention to gaming magazines or anything it was really just schoolyard rumors and things like that that you would hear about games coming out and things like that yeah it's such a weird like warped reality from my end because i didn't start really playing video games until i was four or five which you could argue is still probably too young to do it and when i was doing that i was playing like the super nintendo and the original nintendo so we're talking 1995 1996 at this point so the concept that the rest of the world was talking about 3d games while i was just discovering the super nintendo is a bit mind-blowing to me i've always had a very hard time wrapping my head around that i think ryan brought up a really good point for me which is there were the games you played at home and the games you played in the arcades and more often than not especially when you go back to like nes super nintendo if you saw the same game that was in the arcade and home, it's like, oh, this, they made some compromises to make this happen. And then when I would go to the arcades and see games in 3D, I'm thinking, oh, there's this is not happening at home. Like, this is awesome. This is the future of gaming. But never did I think that would actually be at home or that it will be accessible. Yet when we actually look at the price here, the original price, which adjusted for inflation will be $465 today. This is once again in reference to the multiple articles available was going to be uh, $250, but the price was actually cut down in North America before a launch. But looking at that $250 now, it's kind of interesting that 
you know, we, we have an average price of 300 plus with uh, consoles now. I mean, we can even get to like the 500, 600s. You can look at the Steam decks and all that. As a kid and even as a, an adult now, what do you think of that 250 price point knowing what the N64 became? I wish that consoles were that price these days, so maybe they'd be a little more attainable. But it's it's interesting just how even with inflation, just the market was so different in the early 90s when it comes to video games, and they weren't the supercomputers that they are today, and how you can look at a price like $250 and go, oh, that's too expensive. Nobody's going to want it. Um, we need to cut that down versus the consoles of today that are in, at least in Canada, upwards of six, $700 and people are just buying them like hotcakes. It's, it's fascinating just how different of a market it was back then. Um, I'm just shocked I had any game consoles growing up knowing adjusted for inflation that these were the the typical prices and i think even something like atari when it came out adjusted for inflation was like crazy high even much higher than this so it, yeah the games have always been i guess around this price range and it's it's kind of accurate to uh how it is uh, you know things are definitely a little bit more stable now but yeah it's kind of like Things haven't really changed that much. They may seem like they were cheaper back then, but they really weren't at all. They weren't, and not just that, but I think uh, video game culture now is normal, right? Like, you think about pop culture, video games are just a thing now. Like, uh, I think I mentioned this uh, when we were still a cast of the past. If in the 90s or 2000s, you saw, like, early 2000s, somebody had a Zelda tattoo, it'd be like, oh, you're a gamer? Nowadays, you'd be like... I got five Zelda tattoos, man. What's wrong with that? So the expectation <laughs> is level. not the same. Yeah, I mean, you you should get some of those, Ryan. No, that would fit, that would fit with I'm you. I'm not a tattoo guy. I just, I'm like, no, no matter how much I love something, I just, I, I don't want to have a chance of regretting it someday. You're afraid so. to commit, Ryan. You yeah, got to yeah, commit. You have a commitment problem. That's what I'm hearing here. <laughs> yeah. You know Here's what, what I'm tattoos? thinking. We should each get a Triforce. You know, I'll get power. Juan will get wisdom. You'll get courage. And then we'll we'll commit to We this. got it. You're going to give courage to the guy who's too afraid to get a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to give you the courage that you need, man. Yeah. It, you yeah. overcame it to get that tattoo. It's symbolic. But yeah. going back no to things. the, <laughs> the topic that before we, uh, we, before we contemplate about where would we get the tattoo, we could save that for, for the post show. <laughs> but now moving on to, uh, so 93, we pretty much just got that, but not a lot more information, right? And let's not forget, like, this would be years before the actual console came out. So it's interesting to see how it went from Project Reality to it got another name, and then we eventually got the last one. So reading this coming uh, to us directly from Game Tyrant regarding 1994, uh, they wrote here, in May of 1994, Nintendo dropped more bad news with the announcement that Project Reality will continue to utilize cartridges instead of newer CD media that every other console had adopted. The recent giving behind this move, it would have made the system cost $100 more to produce. And I feel like we can make an entire episode about that because it's one thing to talk about the price of the console, but when you talk about the price of games, I mean, Nintendo, if like any, any savings or higher cost that you would have with consoles, you would have definitely saved on the consumer with the damn CDs, because like the PS1 games were around 40, 
and 64 games were not that much. Now, Keith, you actually were the one to pull that quote. So what was interesting to you about it? To me, that sounds like one of the biggest cop-outs in video game history with them saying the reason for the console using cartridges was because it would have increased in costs for consumers. When you think about all of the positives and the negatives of CDs versus cartridges, it's almost like they just found one little sliver of something that they could twist as a positive and just went with that because you have to remember when the N64 was in development, so was the PS1 and the Sega CD had been using CDs for years. So CDs were not like this brand new thing that we were just on the cusp of using as a society they've been around for a while right so all of the positives that you would get with a cd and the cost that the cartridges that n64 cartridges ended up being because yeah you save a hundred bucks on the console itself you buy two games and boom you just paid that hundred bucks again back no problem yeah, you, you basically buy two games it's like hey you made you made the difference yeah, so it it just seems like such a huge cop out and a way for them to stay on the like the their proprietary system that they were comfortable using with cartridges being such a big part of the Super Nintendo. It's something that really shows that Nintendo hasn't changed at all since basically from between yep. now and then and that's a, that that You got to commend them for consistency that's true. Yeah. Even you when they switched to CDs, they could just do normal ass CDs. They got to do tiny ones. Yeah, there was. Yeah, I think they they've always had this fear of piracy, and they've always wanted to to go their own way. But if you do the breakdown, clearly this was one of the most impactful decisions about the Nintendo sixty four, and probably the biggest reason. Um, for potentially losing the console wars uh, of this era. Um, because if we look at the breakdown, basically that a cartridge, N64 cartridge, could only hold 64 megabytes maximum compared to 650 megabytes on a CD, which is just an insane difference. You know, we talk about the, you know, benefit of propri proprietary, um, you know, cartridge so that it's much harder for people to fake although that's a much different story today um <laughs> less load times there's a reasonable benefit right there is you didn't really have load times on the n64 but it was at a pretty darn uh expensive cost not only price wise but you, we see with the amount of space that could be held um, so yeah, at the end of the day, clearly we see that CDs were probably the way that they should have gone. Plus, I feel like it made Nintendo have a bit of a backstep out of the gate because the decision to go with cartridges lost them one of the biggest IPs of the 90s and arguably one of the biggest games ever in Final Fantasy slash Final Fantasy 7 because up until that point Final Fantasy was a Nintendo game but because of the limitations that the cartridge created Square was like no I'm we're gonna go over to PlayStation see you later so like even just before the system itself came out they already put themselves on the back foot and I just don't think they ever got on the front foot with that 
And I think that's one of the biggest things that's amazing where you look at the Super Nintendo library, it was an RPG beast, but you compare that to N64, it's like, hey, where did the RPGs go? You got you got. Let games me tell you about elements. Quest sixty four. Let, let's 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 do a deep oh, dive no, no, no. on Quest. Okay, we could we could eventually do a. But that game pissed me off so much. It was awful. Yeah, but I tried to convince myself that. that it was good. But then, yeah, um, I think the the shape of the actual cartridge is something that's very iconic. But you know, you brought up an interesting point, Keith, which is. It also makes it confusing for people because I remember reading a ton of articles. I was a kid at the time, didn't really think about that too much, where some parents would buy a Super Nintendo and they'd be like, hey, this NES cartridge, it doesn't fit in the thing. How, how, how come it's not backwards compatible? And then you're yet increasing that challenge with the N64. And um, I mean, that's where the infamous like you blow the cartridge, which people you should not. They literally tell you to not blow in the cartridge. Did you guys ever blow on an N64 it cartridge? It works. I'm telling you, man, it works. Yeah, it it works. Uh, maybe they but say they tell not us to not do not it. To, though. They tell I, us I, not I understand to. that. But when the, when you're everybody had that one game, right? The one that would only work like one in every 10 times that you turn Ugh. the system on. You blow on it a few times and boom, it magically works. I don't think that's a coincidence. Okay, okay. I got a question for you guys. Popping in a game, it not working, and then you got to putting it out and back in. Is that a fault or a feature of the console? Huh? Huh? We're talking about nostalgia. I mean, you can't have N64 nostalgia without a game working or not working it's the true. first time. I mean, once... Like that was a game before the game, you know. Once that was you were even you were so happy. Yeah, it was like a mini game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the N sixty four cartridge is probably the worst cartridge ever because it didn't have an end label or anything. So putting it on your shelf yeah. was super. Like I don't know what they were thinking. Like Super Nintendo NES, you could figure out what game it was, but N sixty four. Just a terrible decision. That was a really big design flaw, especially because we still had the uh, cardboard boxes for the games, which a lot of people threw out. And hey, if you got if you got those, chances are you're looking at a over a hundred dollar game. And that and that what are we talking about, Ryan? That C I B baby. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And plus the shelf life of a cardboard box for a ten year old kid, which was the demographic, is not long for this world. Nope. You maybe get two months out of those things. Five tops. minutes in Christmas. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and then uh, just the final quick interesting thing about nineteen ninety four is the year before it was Project Reality, but now it was the Ultra sixty four. So we were getting closer to what would later be the final uh, name. But then we got to go over to 1995, which once again, it got the final name change of the Nintendo 64. So what did you guys think about the NES, then the SNES or the SNES or Super NES? Like there's different ways of saying it. And the Nintendo said, okay, let's let's just kind of stay on brand and call it Nintendo and then 64 due to the increase in technology stuff. Did you like that name as a kid? Because at this point, 1995, we do have a lot more awareness about gaming. I, to this day, still love the name Ultra 64 because you have the normal Nintendo, then you have the Super Nintendo, and then you have the Ultra console. It is that next level up. You're Ultra 64. You know, is it sad I just got that now? 
Like I just realized what was called the ultra. How do you go above super? Ultra. <laughs> I didn't. And get then it. the next one would be the mega one twenty eight. I'm well, so they couldn't do mega because right of the mega drive or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe. that's that's a good point. The name, I think, it is fine. It was important for that time because this was a time where everybody threw around the word bit, but nobody knew what it meant, except for the people that actually developed the games, right? Because kids were like, oh, 8-bit, well, I got 16-bit, and then Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis were battling in the 16-bit era, and then you got blast processing and all that, so... I think there was this, there was still meaning behind that term bit. And I think flaunting that, hey, 64 means it's 64 bit. Like, think about how crazy that is. So I, I think it was important for them to like put that there for a reason to be like, hey, this is 64 bit. And uh, you don't like this is way better than the, the Super Nintendo. It's a higher number. And, so it's got to be better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And plus, you need to have the word Nintendo in there. It's a way to, for consumers to know that it is the next Nintendo product. Like, if, if it really did get called the Ultra 64, how would you know they, that that's the next they Nintendo? They probably would have called it the Nintendo Ultra 64. Yeah, Most or likely. the Ultra Nintendo or something like yeah. that. But the word Nintendo had to be in there. So I understand why Ultra got cut. And uh, in this year, this is where we really started to not just hear about the console and 3D technology. We would actually come to look at a lot of footage uh, in the same trade show. So we saw concepts for Super Mario 64. At that point, Zelda 64, Star Fox and Mario Kart. Uh, these were shown. So I feel like out of all of these, Zelda has always been the one where Nintendo tends to show one thing. You know, we've seen the infamous things about Zelda games that never came to be graphically, like from a visual standpoint, a visual like an art style standpoint. But then we got to see Super Mario 64. So what did you guys think about that? Because I remember when I saw it, it, it must have been at a blockbuster or something. I, I didn't really use the Internet and it's not like video clothes were common here. But I remember looking somewhere and just, I could not believe, like, Mario was running around in circles. How was that even possible? What did you guys think about the first concepts you saw for the games on the console? The concepts, I actually didn't see most of these until after these games had long been out. But it's crazy. If you look at some of that early Zelda 64 footage, it basically doesn't even look like the same game. A link looks horrible. Um, there's that infamous uh, footage. I don't know if this is what they showed in 95, but I know there's footage of like Link getting a Triforce and people to still to this day think there's some way to get the Triforce in Ocarina of Time. But um, a lot of that, yeah, it, it looked pretty rough um, back then, at least with the Zelda stuff. But I don't really... I actually remember seeing the early Super Mario 64. A lot of these games like Star Fox and stuff, I didn't see until you, you, I had a friend who got the N64 pretty early, you know? Mm -hmm. I was the same way where I don't remember seeing a lot of the early footage, but 
long after the fact, like, like I mentioned earlier, at this point in 1995, I was just discovering the Super Nintendo. I was falling in love with A Link to the Past while the rest of the world was seeing Ocarina of Time or Zelda 3D, I guess it is. But I remember long after the fact, my first memory of seeing Super Mario 64 and was totally blown away. It was at like a kiosk at a Winners or something along those lines. And it just had Mario 64 playing and my mind was completely blown by exactly like you said one the ability to just walk around in 3D it was it was a huge game changer for the two, the 2D enjoyment that i was having with games already and it would have been interesting you know uh, th- this is in hindsight cuz it's not like as a kid i i had access to a lot of this information but we're sitting here talking about oh nintendo ditch cd's or stick into cartridges but then you look at this gameplay footage and Super Mario 64 and Zelda still look amazing. Like, yeah, some of the textures are blurrier, but a lot of those games on the 3D games, I think, look better than the majority of 3D games on PS1 that tended to be a lot grainier, grittier. So I think that even more so than the N64 as a console, these concepts kind of like just like it opened up Pandora's box of, wow, what, what can they do in a cartridge? It Almost in a similar way where... On the N sixty on the Super Nintendo, Donkey Kong Country showed like, holy crap, you can get like these digitized sprites and have it kind of look three D, even though it's not. Like, how mind blowing do you think that yeah. was? That it kind of was able to to break that mold that you don't need CDs for a really good three D. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those situations where like limitation like creates um, like creativity right when you're under so many restrictions you have to get really creative and find a way around it and i I think we see that with the you know the nintendo games on the nintendo 64 the fact that they're able to fit these what feel like massive games into such small files Uh, i think having a lot of cartoony styles helped whereas there was a lot of playstation games that were aiming more for realism so a lot of those games didn't age as well uh, so that that was another thing definitely uh, in the favor of the Nintendo games going for that cartoony style. Yeah, I don't fully understand it, but Nintendo has always been wizards like that, where they can just milk every single drop out of their systems in a way that nobody well, else Nintendo can. Nintendo and Rareware. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rare case. is true. The point. I mean, <laughs> Very just not like, yeah. <laughs> And, I mean, and I think that also Bad lends Fur Day itself. being fully voice acted. Yeah, on, that, that, that's you, still You don't amazing. even need the expansion pack. That's it's insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think Nintendo in general has always just been really good at... There, there's a reason people say the Nintendo console, and they're not referring to it as the console made by Nintendo. It's the console where you play games made by Nintendo because... Like Keith said, they they just knew it. It's almost like they designed the damn thing. So they kind of had like the <laughs> upper hand. And we would see that, you know, when we talk about the launch games and eventually, you know, we can maybe talk about other years of the console. We would see games like Tony Hawk that really struggled to get the audio working. You would have to resort to loops because they can put the field music and and things like that. Uh, but then something that was very interesting is that the N64 went from launching before the PlayStation 1 to launching afterwards. And so a lot of people, and I would say uh, the same, attributed this to maybe why the PlayStation 1 picked up so much steam. Uh, for esteem. For context, I bought a PS1 first, and I, and I played and bought an N64 afterwards. 
just generally speaking, how much influence do you think it had for you guys and your parents and, you know, any friends? Like the PlayStation 1 came out first. It's got CDs versus the N64 that's coming out afterwards and it's using cartridges. Do you think that was part of the conversation? Not for me. I was Nintendo all the way. I, I think with the whole wars between Genesis and Super Nintendo kind of turned me into like a Nintendo fanboy. Surprise, surprise. Um, but <laughs> I was, you know, like I said, I had friends who had Nintendo 64 and I was seeing those games like I was all in. I did eventually get a PlayStation but I mean, you can think you can chalk that up to television for really creating my desire for that because I would see commercial after commercial of all these awesome games and then it would be like on PlayStation. And I'm just like, dang, and like it'd be oh, that game's so awesome. Only on PlayStation, only on PlayStation, like PlayStation, over and over, that little oh, commercial yeah. thing. Just and it was like I, I was I was getting very jealous because. At the end of the day, when you look at the libraries, PlayStation had so many more games, so many more games. And eventually I was like, OK, I need to get a PlayStation because there's so many games I'm missing out on. And I mean, as you grow, your changes or your wants change a little bit as well. Right. So I can think of myself. I got the N64 first because I was more interested in the Zeldas and the Marios and the more cartoony style of game that was offered uh, at, by Nintendo and the N64 at that time. But as I got a little older, I became more interested seeing those commercials for things like Twisted Metal, like Metal Gear Solid, like Crash Bandicoot that had the more attitude to them. And I ended up gravitating more towards the PlayStation by the end of the generation. So it, I think for us and the point that we are, that we were in our lives, it feels like the N64 would be more for us during that launch period and i can say for myself that was a hundred percent true yeah and we'll be talking about that once again in regarding the launch year uh games just like sort of what was the library and then what we played around that time but as i mentioned the ps1 came out beforehand so we're gonna have a very interesting um uh, switch here where we're going to be just briefly bringing up some of the PS1 games that came out, not all of them, like in its launch cycle, but we're also going to be talking about some of the Super Nintendo games that came out in, in 1995, because kind of like the NES to Super Nintendo, Nintendo did continue to support the previous console in the transitional process. And there were a couple of games in there that it's like, as we were prepping, where I was blown away at the fact that some games came out in the launch year, and we'll talk about that later, and these bigger games that came out towards the end of the Super Nintendo generation. So starting with PS1, Ryan, could you list off uh, some of the ones that we have here for a launch? Yeah, so we have Battle Arena Toshinden. Hopefully Toshinden. I said that right. Toshinden, yeah, you tried, you tried. We have Ridge Racer. <laughs> then we have uh, <laughs> that Rayman. That was a badass game. Rayman, NBA Jam, and then Street Fighter, the movie, the game. The game. Well, not it was a marathon for the PS1, not a sprint, apparently. <laughs> yeah, not exactly <laughs> lighting the world on fire with those launches. I am actually, I'm, I never knew that the PlayStation had its own like NBA Jam game. And I wonder if it's at all good compared to like the There's iconic like Super Nintendo and Arcade Edition, you know? 
Yeah, you don't hear the... much about the PS1 NBA Jam, but I feel like they took the shell of that and turned it into NFL Blitz, and for that, I appreciate the fact it exists, because God, I love that PS1 version of Blitz. What's interesting is that you look at that launch lineup for PS1, and for the switch to 3D, there was a lot of 2D. And even though it was good 2D, like Rayman is awesome, but I mean, it's a 2D game. Uh, Street Fighter, the movie, the game. It's actually not the same version as the one in the arcades. Like the gameplay has significant changes. The sound and even the sprites are reworked. Then you have NBA Jam. So even though we got a couple of games, I think Destruction Derby is one of the first games I remember playing. I think the first one I did play was actually Battle Arena. And even though... Because I got a PS1, I want to see it launch or damn close to it. As much as I like having it, it was kind of like, I can't tell which is the one game I'm supposed to be like, you got to play this. I really did not feel that. But then when we go over to the Super Nintendo, uh, Keith, can you do me the honors in listing out those games for 1995? In 1995, we were getting Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy Kong's Quest, Yoshi's Island. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, we got to go gotta, back. We, Ryan's going to correct you. I used to oh, say, I said it right. the same way I as Keith I, so I for see years. what I did there. For it's years. a trap. It is Diddy's, Diddy's Kong Quest. I only started, lear- I only learned that like four okay. years ago. So I'd, li- I'd like to get, I'm, I, I understand that you didn't make this title, but I'd like to go behind the grammar of it. So this is saying it's Diddy's Kong Quest. I am saying it's clear for the audience. Yeah. So it is saying that Diddy, not Diddy Kong, Diddy and not P. Diddy, <laughs> is going on a Kong quest. Exactly. So it's not Diddy Kong going on a quest. It is Diddy going on a Kong quest. It's going to be weird. okay, Keith. It's going to be okay. We'll I don't like that. It. He's Diddy Kong, and he should be going on a quest. His first name is Diddy. His last name is Kong. But and then it should a, be Diddy Kong's Quest, because that is his full name going on a quest. <laughs> they're trying to anyway. do the pun, man. They just want to do a pun <laughs> yeah, man. with Kong yeah, Quest. Like Kong Quest. Mortal. What's the next Next game? we'll have Diddy Combat. All right, <laughs> go, moving onwards. So we had Diddy, Diddy's Kong Quest, Yoshi's Island, Chrono Trigger, and Toy Story. Like, they were still just Putting out hammering bangers. out bangers, the hits. Yeah. yeah, like some of those are three of the best games of all time and Toy Story that I just listed out there. So Super Nintendo is still going very strong. It's like three three of the best games and Chrono Trigger. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that. We're on our inaugural episode. I can't get the hate mail already. No no hate. I just thought it would be funny. But But, I mean, yeah, look at that. It's like towards the very end of the Super Nintendo. And this is before the launch of the the N64 and the games that came out then. Like this is the the console was in no way struggling. Maybe people wanted some better graphics or 3D or whatever. But you look at this lineup and I mean, those are three games that people still play today. Like those are still mm-hmm. super, I played Diddy's Conquest like a month ago, right? When people wanted the uh, Switch, um, the online system for Super Nintendo games, what was one of the games that people wanted? You know, Diddy's Conquest, Yoshi's Island, Chrono Trigger is not still there. Toy Story will be <laughs> interesting for nostalgic purposes. But uh, Ryan, in your case, I mean, DKC2 is one of your favorites. Oh yeah, I, pl- I play it almost yearly. 
and I definitely played it when it when it was on Switch Online. So, yeah, but I love those games. It exactly. almost makes me wonder if it's a negative that they were still going so strong with the Super Nintendo that close to the Nintendo 64's launch, right? Because I imagine if if 2021 Keith were in 1995, if I time traveled back there, I would probably be thinking to myself sometime something along the lines of, yeah, 3D looks pretty cool, but I've got all these games I still need to play for the Super Nintendo. I can probably wait it out a little bit. I mean, I we've know. seen as it a kid, with different games. Though, as a kid, I always felt like you want the shiny new thing, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I could be playing Super Nintendo, but as soon as I see Mario running around in 3D, no, I need that. That's I fair. mean, you look at a game like Animal Crossing, which uh, did come out for the N64 in Japan, but one of the reasons that they didn't transition, it's like, okay, well, N64 has been out for a little while. We want to maybe save that for the GameCube. And we've seen a whole lot of games. I mean, we could even do an episode about just games that almost came out for X console, but came out for Y. And it's like Keith said is maybe graphically they could actually make it possible, but it's not nearly as cool as if you switch it to the brand new toy and you buy the console controllers, memory cards, you got to get it all. So maybe that's partially why it happened. So then getting to some other general discussion points, and I feel like maybe we're saving some of the best for last, you can't talk about the Nintendo 64 and its reveal pre-release without talking about the controller. You can talk about iconic controllers, and I think a lot of people lean into NES just because it's like the first one that people said, this is what a game controller should be. And Super Nintendo kind of just made some overall improvements with the corners and all that. And 64 just said, hold my joystick. I'm going to make some decisions (laughs) that even to this day, some people don't know how to hold the damn thing. What was your guys' first impression when you saw that there's two quarters, but then there's a thing sticking out, there's a button in the back, and there's a joystick in the middle? What, What the hell was your reaction I still don't know how my mind wrapped itself around the trident and where that design came from. Because, I mean, it's just so out there. Like, I, I, that is one design meeting I would have loved to been a fly on the wall of to say, like, okay, well, we need three, we need three shafts and then we're gonna have (laughs) z buttons and we're gonna have c buttons and we're gonna have a b buttons and a a stick like it really was just throwing things against a wall and hoping to god it's stuck on the controller it's it's such a fascinating thing to look back at and nintendo didn't stop with that like the gamecube controller is even more insane right But at least it didn't have three uh, shafts. The ergonomics were better, but it was still (laughs) the Z trigger. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when they designed... look at this thing. It's insane. (laughs) (laughs) The damn joystick. Yeah, I I feel like when the DualShock came out, however long after that was released for the PlayStation, they must have just been like, oh, we could have done that, huh? (laughs) you know we can have a stick and a d-pad and not need three shafts i'm gonna keep using that word (laughs) because that's what they are this is this is a tri shaft on that n64 controller shaft one shaft two shaft three yeah so well no fact that was actually uh, the original name the tri shaft no no (laughs) but you know 
you see the three shafts and it's a little intimidating. I got to be honest with you. But once you once you grip onto that thing, it's a lot more comfortable than you'd expect. Mm -hmm. It's <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I see what you did there. And I'm really going to lean into it and in saying like, I thought that it would be more difficult to grip onto that thing and hurt your hands. But really, it was the only like design flaw i would say that the tri shaft had was the joystick bleed, and the fact though. that sometimes you had to just rub your palm <laughs> yeah. around it and you in some games the, and you would, the middle you shaft would get calluses you bleed, on your man. hand from rubbing the shaft yeah sometimes you'd have a little party and uh you'd <laughs> be rubbing that thing it burned your hand but <laughs> after the first party you learned your lesson because at the second party you didn't have to do that anymore uh, yeah, the shaft but in all nicer. seriousness, I, I will say with the N64 controller, I think the most underutilized aspect of that was the D-pad because I think they, they just had the mindset that, okay, if you ever play a 2D game, you can hold on to the, the, the far left end and then play with the D-pad, like if you were playing just a, a 2D platform or something. But we saw like in errors like errors later like ps2 and beyond and game not really gamecube i guess but the d-pad could have been utilized for 3d games to just be like equipment buttons and things like like you know what i mean secondary buttons mm -hmm. that they could have used but they never utilized it um so that was just one thing i felt like was a missed opportunity was okay if there's some sort of passive action when you're not in the heat of the moment you could take your hand off of the joystick and actually use the D-pad for just to have extra buttons for a game. So that was kind of an unfortunate thing that I wish they had utilized more. But other than that, it looks really weird, but it's not that bad of a controller, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think a lot of times the D-pad kind of became the, I don't know how to control the camera. So it's either the C buttons or the D-pad or a variation of both. And it just made it awkward to control. Like... I think it's, um, we can have an episode, and we've talked about this and uh, we were still a cast of the past about some of the best and worst game controllers, but I would argue this is both simultaneously. From a nostalgic standpoint, you look at that Trident and you could not have a more memorable controller, especially for those that grew up in the 90s. So nostalgia talking, it's like, hey, that is at the very tippy top. But if you talk about functionality, then it becomes like, I mean, with the GameCube, they kind of made it better, but even the GameCube still struggled a little bit with that. But then another topic that's tied into the controller is the ports. So I really do think that one of the biggest uh, benefits that the N64 had over the PS1 is you look at the console, it doesn't have two controller ports, it has four. And even though the PS1, you could get the multi-tap, it was still like... The games weren't really meant for that, whereas the N64, the whole concept is, hey, it's not just two people playing. You know, you got to have over 12 different shafts in that action. So what do you guys <laughs> think of the uh, the fact that we had four ports and everything that came it, of it? It was huge. That, that was what basically helped the N64 exponentially was the four controller ports. Because like you said, the multi-tap existed for the PlayStation, but it was like a myth almost. It was like a there was maybe like two kids at school that had the multi-tap. And what games did you play? You know, there was I think there was some crash party games. But anyway, not everyone had them. 
but everyone seemed to have Mario Kart. Eventually, everyone had GoldenEye. A lot of people had Mario Party or you rented it. There were so many great, memorable party games to play on the N64, and that really gave it a, an edge over PlayStation that they didn't really have. And I think they kind of they knew that was a lane that they could stay in, and I think that helped the console tremendously. Because mm-hmm, you have to think about it from a developer's standpoint. Like, yeah, the multi-tap did exist for the PlayStation, but say... 50% of the PlayStation owners owned it, and that's a probably a very generous number. If you're making a game that needs the multi-tap, then you're only selling to half the market. Like, there's really no incentive to do it. If that's, yeah. Exactly. So Nintendo is has all four ports coming, like, stock with the system. And even though if you sit there and you have all four controllers and the wires and everything plugged in it's a nightmare it still enabled games like mario kart mario party to be so successful because every n64 had the ability to play it and you as a kid just had to take your controller or one of your controllers over to your friend's house and then you could play those games like it's it was a huge huge positive design choice that really helped it just there wasn't a lot that made it different from the PlayStation in a positive way, but this was definitely one of them. And I think something that something else that's tied to it is the N64, even pre-launch, and especially when it came out, it was a much more practical console. Like, I'm not saying you needed to do this, but if you wanted to literally throw the console in a bag, a cartridge in the bag, in a controller, you didn't have Good. to worry about... A, uh, a disc getting scratched or anything like that happened, whereas the PS1 was like, okay, you got to make sure the jewel case is there, and even that could easily break. And I think it lent itself to, if the three of us were friends, it'd be like, I can go over to Ryan's house, I can throw my cartridge uh, of Super Smash Brothers, two controllers, and I don't got to worry about getting a plastic case or something that would be ideal. Yeah, no memory cards for exactly. the mo- for a lot of games. Not Yeah, most games didn't need a memory card, so that was also an advantage, or a disadvantage, depending on how you want to look at it, but... Um, it was one less thing you needed to buy. Like I never owned a Nintendo 64 memory card when I had it back in the day. Um, I just didn't have any games that needed it. I don't think I bought one. Whereas PlayStation, time. every single game needed what, it. What did I use it for? I honestly don't remember. I think I had one. Tony, for if you too. added Tony Hawk, I know Tony Hawk needed it. I'm just sitting here thinking about know, that. Yeah, same thing. I, I never owned the expansion pack. And those are little things that we'll be uh, talking about. But then, yeah, the the final thought here is when we go to 1995, this is just before the launch of the N64. That's going to be our next episode. So we're going to be talking about that. The insane lineup of games that came out day one, people. That lineup is, <laughs> you can you, you can almost count it with your hands. Legendary. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was massive. <laughs> what do you guys think about up until 1995 now because we were still kids maybe not processing this much do you feel like oh man the n64 i can understand why it became not going to say a cult following but it was one of the lesser sold consoles a lot less games came out for it than most other consoles you know when you think about lack of third-party support expensive cartridges but pre-release what do you think about the console, the controllers, and all the information that we just covered? It's, a, it's an uphill battle knowing what we know now. 
based on hardware and their decisions. But at the time, I was just excited for 3D Nintendo, seeing what my favorite games. Oh, what's Mario like in 3D? It's amazing. What's Donkey Kong like in 3D? Well, not as great, but um, at the time, I didn't care. I just, I wanted, I wanted 3D. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. It's just the excitement of 3D and getting my hands on it and seeing this crazy new world that video gaming was evolving into was just, it's, it's exciting. Even as a kid, it's exciting to see that next fun, crazy thing. No, and uh, friends, that's been it for this uh, first episode. Want to uh, plug a couple of things here once again. The references used were from thefactsite.com, mentalfloss.com, and gametyrant.com. Our next lineup of episodes, so the following one is going to be about the launch of the N64 from that very first day that it came out up until like the first couple of weeks and months. What does that look like? What is that hype level around it? What are some of the games that came out around that point? And if you were to just say now with the hindsight mindset is like, how was that, right? And how was that like as a, as a kid? Then episode three, we, are, we actually have the full lineup or what should be the full lineup of the first 12 months and the games that came out for the N64. And we're going to talk about like some of the ones that, hey, th these are the ones that I played within the first year or two of the console. Uh, as I mentioned, episode four is going to be about the legacy and the final episode for this lineup of episodes uh, for Quest Rewind. Uh, these uh, series of parts is going to be about one specific game that will be dropping a review here. So uh, guys, what do you think about this first episode and then knowing what we have coming up with the other N64 episodes? I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, You're both you know, excited. Simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, we're Can both you excited. Feel it? Oh, I'm so excited. But this is this is one of the most nostalgic uh, consoles of all times. Like if when you think of video games from the nineties and put on those rose colored glasses, most people see the Nintendo sixty four. So I think it's a great place for us to start and to just, you know, cover the past, cover the things that made us the gamers that we are today and why we love retro so much absolutely and everybody if you want to join our discord you can head over to the description of this episode and find the link right over there you can chat about all the episodes suggest about future things if you're curious about the format because this is the first episode so we have the first five set as far as what we'll, we'll be uh, covering then we may take a small break and think about things because with those five, it's kind of like a WCW champion. We're bringing out with the, the very best, the gold tier stuff. Then we'll take a break. Think about what's the next five episodes going to look like because we wanted to have a it's almost like an audiobook, but it's a conversation about this more, the, more so than just sharing the information. It's informative. It's about entertaining ourselves, talking about this, but also just like reacting because maybe eventually mm -hmm. we'll cover something like the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox 360 that we were adults around that point. And it's a very different mindset where we actually have the authority to buy something as opposed to this point. So uh, because this is the first episode and knowing some of the things that we've talked about behind the scenes, uh, either one of you guys like... How excited are you for the overall format of the show and some of the topics that we may, we may be uh, covering? I'm 
pretty excited, uh, as you said, when we get to certain times that are a little more recent, it, it's going to be a much different conversation in terms, like you said, if we have buying power, then the PlayStation 3 era is going to be much different than how we're reacting to the N64 era, where we're kind of in at the mercy of our of our family for when whether we get something or not at that time. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm excited for those different types of conversations, but I, I love kind of just walking through history in these kind of blocks that we're going to be doing. So N64 block is, is what we're working on now, but definitely, you know, those listening, don't be afraid to let us know uh, what systems or types of games you'd love to see us cover in the future, because it's not just going to be relegated to, hey, we're talking about a system and walking through the years, um, there's there's definitely uh, variety that we can do. So definitely let us know after listening what what you guys want to see down the line. Absolutely. Oh, you, oh, so. you, you want me? You want me to add uh, to hey, that? Hey, <laughs> hey, you you can you can say something, Keith. Close yeah, out with some I, positive messages. I pretty much yeah agree with everything Ryan said. The nice thing about these blocks that we have built as the backbone of this new show is that it almost puts like a nice little bow on a conversation. Like you have you have a few weeks to join us and get deep into the Nintendo 64 for to use this as an example and then kind of join us on that couple of week long journey and then we move on to something new and then we have the exact same journey so it gives it a fun reason to keep the conversation the same for a bit but then jump around when necessary right and i and feel the need yeah get down and move it all around i feel i feel the need to include that like we're starting at the N64 here. That's our first block. That doesn't mean that we're never going to go back to the N64. Exactly. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. So this, like, we're starting here, but expect to see more N64 related content in the future. Just when it makes sense and when it's time to add it back into our blocks, we're going to put it in the blocks. Yeah. It's like building with Lego behind me. You put the right block in the right place and boom, magic happens. And we talked about shafts. And I think with that, we can put a little bit of a beautiful bow here on the inaugural edition of Quest Rewind. So thank you for watching, uh, supporting, checking out the YouTube channel. Or listening. Uh, I mean, yeah, that is very important. Clips are available at youtube.com slash quest rewind. That is the best way you can support the podcast. Full episodes on podcast apps like Stitcher, Spotify, all that stuff. But if you want to get some specific clips or maybe you tuned in because of one of those clips and then you stumble upon here, welcome. So up until next time, warm hugs. The nostalgic journey continues. So take care, everybody.